This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. It's a privilege to be with you. Before we jump in, I just want to give honor to the Lord. I'm thankful for mercy and grace. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. And so I don't deserve to be here. So God, thank you. Thank you for mercy and grace. And Pastor Nate, it's fun to be with you again. Pastor Nate, over the years, has been not only a friend, but I I shared with him a few minutes ago a compass. During key moments in my life, God has always sent Pastor Nate. Um, And so thanks, man. Thanks for being real. Thanks for being a friend. But also thanks for being somebody who has been constant. How many of you know finding somebody who continues to serve Jesus in the same direction with the same passion over the years at times is hard to find? And so when you find someone like that, you wrap your arms around them and you don't let go. So I'm not going anywhere. So... Uh, hey, Emmanuel, thank you for your generosity over the years. We have together provided hope to an awful lot of people. Last year during the pandemic, you were so kind. You were kind enough to love your neighbor as yourself. You distributed groceries. You distributed hope. You stood in the gap for many people who didn't know where their next meal was going to come. On behalf of our president and founder, Hal Donaldson, and all of Convoy of Hope, thank you as well, because over the years, you have helped us respond to earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes, but you've also helped us feed children. You've helped us come alongside women and empower them. In places of the world where women are discriminated against simply because of their gender, they are uneducated because of their gender, they are not given basic human rights because of their gender, you understand well how simple it is to simply love God and love your neighbor. And today we get to do it all over again. For just a few minutes I wanna talk to you about your core calling, our core calling to live lives of radical generosity and kindness. We live in an age where the love of most grows cold. That means that love is a new idea again. Love is a sign and a wonder. And I remember right before the world was shut down because of the pandemic, once again being reminded of how simple it can be. Have compassion on someone else and get involved. And that's what we're doing through Kingdom Builders. I remember standing on the streets and the line of children was four city blocks long. I hate to describe them this way, but this is the way they looked. Many of them did not have clothes on. They did not have shoes. They were covered in feces and urine. It was heartbreaking to look at them, and they were hungry. And they stood in line to get a handful of rice. A rusty pickup truck backed up to the children, and somebody hopped up into the truck bed, took a rusty tin cup or metal cup, and began to scoop rice into the hands of the children. I'm not casting aspersions against the individual in the pickup truck. He was simply doing the best he could with what he had. But I watched as the children got the rice, and rather than eating the rice immediately, which if you've ever been around someone who is literally starving, they do that. They eat the food right away. They don't care what it seasons with. They they don't care what it looks like. They're simply trying to stay alive. And I watched as the children did not eat the rice. I asked someone who was 
traveling with me, why don't the children eat, eat the food right away? And he said, well, we've asked ourselves that same question, and we followed them back to the slums where they come from. I hate to describe them as slums. It is their neighborhood. It's their home. And to them, they don't know any different. But we know them as slums. Where there is no electricity, no running water, no food, where literally moms tie their children to their legs at night with rope so that someone does not sneak in and take their little girls away and sell them into sexual slavery. This is their home. And the children don't eat the food right away because they take the rice back and they share it with their siblings. I think sometimes when we talk about generosity, we think that those of us in the West who have access to resource, now to be clear, some of you have access to millions, some of you may have access to $5, but we all have access to something. Generosity is not based on the amount we give. Generosity is based on simply being faithful with what is in our hand. That's what it is. But sometimes we forget that people who are steeped in poverty, they are vulnerable, they are marginalized, that because they are created in the image of God, they too have a longing and a desire to be generous. And the little children on the streets teach us that. They teach us that even when you're hungry, you, there's something inside all of us that says, love your neighbor. It's because the law of God is written on our heart and it, it is because we are formed in the image of God. Even the poorest of the poor long to be generous. And as I watched as the children protected their rice, the rains came. I happened to be in this particular part of the world. I won't tell you where I was just simply because of the safety of our work. We've discovered at Convoy some of the most miraculous things in the world can take place among the poor when you don't have to tell everybody what you're doing. Sometimes it's okay for your right hand to not know what the left hand does, but we do it to be clear through the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, the rains came, and it was a torrential downpour. Somebody ran up next to me and opened up an umbrella. Perhaps they wondered uh, why the guy with the comb over was standing in the middle of nowhere, and they wanted to do the honorable thing and keep me from getting wet. And the last thing you want to do when children are standing in line just to stay alive is to stand underneath an umbrella. And so I thank the individual, but I also politely asked the individual, please put the umbrella away. When I turned over my shoulder to communicate that, I noticed off in the distance was this huge, ornately carved wooden door. It looked like something from the ancient times. But what really caught my attention is what stood in front of the door. They were precious little girls. And I remember the various hues and shades of pinks and purples that they were wearing. What really caught my attention is what was on their face. They had makeup on their face, bright pink lipstick. And right there in the middle of one of the most desolate, arid places in the world, I had a flashback to Friday mornings. Because back in the day when our girls, who right now, we have two girls who are in university, but when our girls were a lot smaller, Friday morning was my time with them. And so, like clockwork, every Friday morning, we woke up and dad made pancakes. And we chased them down with an awful lot of maple syrup and butter. How many of you know, back in the day, we didn't care how many calories were in butter and syrup, right? And so we chased them down, and then we began to play dress up. And our girls always wanted to play Little House on the Prairie. They wanted to play education and school. 
But their favorite, and frankly my favorite, was wedding. And so they ran upstairs and put on their little princess dresses and came downstairs and stood at the end of the hallway. And there I was with my Bible. And they walked down the aisle holding the hand of an imaginary man. And they heard their father say, and I quote, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the presence of God and the sight of this company to join together this man, this imaginary man, and this woman in the holy covenant of marriage. Marriage is an honorable state instituted by God since the creation of time. Our kids have been married hundreds of times. <laughs> I had a flashback of playing wedding and dress up with the girls. And I said to the person who was traveling with me, oh, look, those little girls in front of that door, they're playing dress up. Even here, in one of the most desolate, poor, poorest of places on the planet, even the little girls play dress up. Oh, Heath, they're not playing dress up. He said, beyond that door is a brothel. He said, those girls have been sold for the equivalent of 200 US dollars. They are sex slaves. They're not playing dress up at all. And I stood there in the rain, angry. Angry because of the injustice. Feeling what you're feeling. A little girl at the age of eight, nine, and 10. Sometimes we assume that people are just malevolent and they sell their kids. No, to be candid, and pardon me for being so brash, but sometimes people do the unthinkable when they don't have food and when they have 10 children, selling one to feed nine seems rational. And that's real. I stood in the rain and I felt angry. I, I wanted to take the girls home. I wanted to do something, but sometimes you just don't know what to do. Sometimes you feel helpless. I think sometimes a lot of us feel that way. We look at the brokenness in the world and we feel helpless. We feel like, well, what can I do? And unfortunately, because we feel like what is in our hands isn't much, we excuse ourselves and succumb to apathy and indifference. But I wanna remind you that we can all do something. We can all do something. And that's why we're here today. Because we know that our something can mean everything to somebody halfway around the world, but also somebody right here in our own backyard. After having a conversation with God in the rain about what I saw, we walked around the corner, we walked into a building, and I had a very different experience. And what struck me first and foremost was what, what I heard, it was the sound. We walked into a building, and I heard little children singing and laughing. And it was culture shock, because I went from the streets to singing and laughter. I came around the corner and a little group of girls were holding hands, twirling in circles. And all of a sudden, somebody rang a bell and hundreds of children from out of nowhere come rushing. And they sat down at a table. And a hush came over the crowd. And somebody prayed and gave thanks to Jesus. And then the little children took their plate. And rather than walking up to the back of a pickup truck, they were given a, pl a plate of rice and vegetables and meat, a menu prepared by a team of nutritionists to make sure that the children had the proper blend of protein, carbohydrates, micronutrients, and fats. 
For example, if you feed a child and you don't give him or her enough iron, they become anemic. Something as simple as enough iron in their diet bolsters cognitive development, and you can actually prevent the cycle of poverty from even beginning in the life of a child if you just feed them the right food as they go to school. This building I walked into where the children were sitting at a table was one of over 2,400 Convoy of Hope feeding centers. The difference between the children in that school and the children on the street is not where they come from. All of the children find their home in the same place. They live in the city slums. It's not as if the children in their school have parents who are educated. No, all of them come from a family line where their parents pick up trash and walk it to the recycling center just to get enough money to buy rice to stay alive for a few more days. It's not as if the children in the school are smarter or more creative. No, the difference is this. The children in the school were recipients of someone else's generosity. And because of that, they have hope. And hope comes not only when we ask what is good, but when we ask what is right. And it is right for children, women, and families to experience an end to physical and spiritual poverty. And to be fair, the challenges that people in the world face today are very complex. You're going to help us do the same thing I just described in one of the poorest of the nations in the world, Zambia, where we're going to start a school-based feeding program and empower women and do our girls and boys programming and train farmers and end the cycle of both physical and spiritual poverty, all for the glory of God and the beautiful land of Zambia. That's one of the things you're going to accomplish today through your generosity. And the challenges that people face in Zambia, in Candeli, some of the challenges people face right here in the Twin Cities are very complex. But the solution, it's got to remain simple. And the solution is this, have compassion, live a life of generosity, and get involved. And that's what we're about to do. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God says of Abraham, I have known him. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God has this conversation with a guy named Abraham or Abram. Well, who is Abraham? Abraham was not a Christian. Abraham was an ancient Iraqi man who was steeped in astrology and he has a conversation with Yahweh. And this conversation changes everything. We're here today because of that conversation. And God basically starts a covenant with Abraham. Through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. It doesn't make much sense until Jesus comes on the scene. We'll talk about that more later. But God tells Abraham, I want you to teach your children to keep my way. Okay, God, how, how do we keep your way? Two, two things, righteousness and justice. Well, what is righteousness and what is justice? Righteousness is a lot less 
about making good decisions. When you think about righteousness, you think about, well, I'm not going to commit that sin or I'm not going to do that. It's more about what we don't do. But righteousness in the ancient Hebrew text, in the Hebrew mindset, literally means to be radically generous and kind. Jesus was righteous, not just because he didn't commit sin. To be clear, he didn't. He lived a sinless life. But he was righteous not just because of what he didn't do. He's righteous because he lived a life of radical generosity. There is no one who has ever lived who was more radically generous than Jesus. How do we know that? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The most generous thing that has ever happened in the history of the world is the innocent lamb of God laying his life down, crucified on the cross for your sins. That is righteousness, radical generosity and kindness. And justice in the biblical sense is a lot less about right versus wrong or are you innocent or guilty. It is more about honor Versus shame. So when God says to Abraham, teach your children to keep my way, to do righteousness and justice, he's basically saying, I want your children to live lives of radical generosity and kindness. And therefore, restore people to a place of honor. That's the gospel. Because to quote Tim Keller, Jesus did not die on the cross to turn bad people into good people. He, he died on the cross so that people who are spiritually dead can come alive. And there is nothing more mind-blowing and unfathomable than the fact that the holy God dies for you so that he can honor you. Remember the the verse in Numbers chapter six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll give you an example of how God is radically generous and kind and restores you to a place of honor. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. That word bless, may the Lord bless you. That word bless in the Hebrew, this is what it means. To bow before someone and give them gifts. The ancient kings sat on the throne and all of humanity came before them. And in order to present yourself before the king, you bow before royalty and extend gifts. How does the king of kings bless you? The king of kings gets off of his throne and he bows before the ones he died for and he offers you the gift of salvation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. That is what righteousness and justice does. It, it is unimaginable. It is unfathomable. It is God saying, you have nothing to offer me. I am going to love you generously and restore you to a place of honor. So much so, I'm going to put my name on you. And when I look at you, I no longer see your sin and your wickedness. When I look at you, I see the righteousness of Christ. That means for those of us who have said yes to the gift of salvation, 
Being generous and compassionate and kind is not an option. It's who we are. And fortunately, God has not made it complicated. It is simple. Love God and love your neighbor. Genesis 18, this is the first time in the Bible when righteousness and justice are linked together. They are linked together over 36 times throughout the narrative of Scripture. God is passionate about people living lives of radical generosity and restoring others to a place of honor. Centuries after God has the conversation with Abraham in Genesis 18, a descendant of Abraham comes on the scene, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Some call him a Jewish sage. Others would refer to him as an itinerant rabbi. We know him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, according to the gospel narrative, never really traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown. He was a Hebrew, to be clear, but he spoke Aramaic. The gospels are primarily written down in Greek. Some tell us he communicated on a sixth grade level. Others say it was a third grade level. Which is it? I really don't know. We'll let the smart people figure that out. What I do know is he communicated in a language that little children could understand. Because the same God who spoke the universe into existence, when he created you, he did not speak. He scooped up a mound of dirt and breathed. I like to think of it this way. God speaks in galaxies form, but he saved his breath for us. And that same God who is standing in front of a child in the midst of a multitude that is hungry, he simply says, I'll take your loaves and fish. And the little boy didn't need a PhD to translate it. The little boy just knew, I'll take what I have in my hands and give it to the mighty one. He has five loaves of barley bread. Barley, by the way, being the bread of the poor. And two small fish. And he takes it, gives thanks, breaks it, and the multitude is fed. He speaks in a language little children can understand. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus had 125 unique teaching incidents. 13 start with content, everything else starts with a question. That's a bit ironic to me, because when you think about how God transitions the entire world from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, he does it basically by telling fictitious stories, we call them parables, and he asks questions. It's not what you would expect from someone who claims to be the truth. We think the truth requires an answer, but the truth asks questions. And Jesus comes to lay his life down to die for the sins of the world. And for those of us who follow Jesus, it's important to remember that we do not memorize Jesus. We, we become like Jesus. And the way we become like Jesus is to live a life of radical generosity and kindness and restore others to a place of honor. Jesus demonstrated righteousness and justice. In Luke chapter 22, he refers to it, verse 27. Jesus, here he goes again, asking a question. Who is greater, he asks. He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves? Jesus inaugurates his public ministry in Luke chapter 4 when he, un, uh, he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and he reads these words. And he introduces himself to the world. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
Why? To create a new religion. To convert people to Christianity. To introduce the world to yet another coherent belief system. No. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the first thing he mentions, to preach the gospel to the poor. And this is interesting because of all of the ancient religions, every single one of them that I can find in my research, their gods with a little g, I only identified with the elite and with royalty. But here comes Jesus, the Son of God, who does not necessarily only identify with the elite, but he identifies with everyone and initially with the poor. And to be clear to God, the poor are not just those who live on more than $1.90 a day. A recent study was done on the poorest of the poor in the world, and they asked the poor what poverty was. Not one of them described it in economic terms. To them, poverty is less about what you have to spend, and it's more about in here. God identifies with the poor because he identifies with you. And you may have money in your bank account, but you can still have poverty in your soul. Are you with me? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he asks this question in Luke 22, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? You're right, the one who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves. What's he talking about? In the first century, when they shared meals, and you can see this in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus shares a meal at Simon the Pharisee's home, the important people recline at the table, the servants stood along the wall, and then people in the neighborhood poked their head through the window to listen. Whether they received an invitation or not, they came. And the important people were at the table. And what I love about Jesus is he makes it clear, the ones who sit at the table are the, quote, greatest. But I am among you as one who serves. What is Jesus communicating? Righteousness and justice. And this is how I see it take place in my mind's eye. That Jesus is sitting at the table and he does not say to a servant along the wall, hey, you, come here, bring that chair. I've got a poor person that I want to eat next to me. Hey, you, over there, yeah, grab that bench. Come here, set it right here. I want everybody to see how great I am, and I'm going to do something nice for one of these meager people. No, Jesus, knowing full well, the great ones sit at the table he gets up from his seat and he lets other people sit in his chair and he serves them. The ones who sit at the table are the great ones. That means that when we serve the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized and the people who are suffering, it is prophetic because we are declaring there is greatness inside of you. You are royalty here let me serve you. Who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? You're right, the one who sits at the table. Yet, those of us today who are going to be radically generous, we get up from the table and we invite somebody else to come. That is righteousness and that is justice. And Jesus prepared a table in the presence of an enemy called suffering. 
Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 5, the woman who had the issue of bleeding for 12 years? She said to herself in the gospel record, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And what does Jesus do when he heals her? He does not say, be healed and keep going. Because he does have somewhere to be. He's on his way to Jairus' house. Somebody is terminally ill. But he stops and he looks at the woman. And he doesn't just say, be healed. He uses an Aramaic term of endearment and he calls her daughter. It's translated daughter in our English Bible. In the Aramaic, it can literally mean princess or queen. He restores dignity to the woman. What is he doing? Righteousness and justice. He is restoring her to a place of honor in front of people who want nothing to do with her. Jesus prepared a table in the presence of an enemy called marginalization in Mark chapter 1 when he heals the leper. Have you ever come in contact with a leper? I have. And when you come in contact with a leper, lepers don't make eye contact with you. Because of their skin disease, they're missing. Usually the tips of their ears and the tip of their nose is gone. And they're ashamed to make eye contact with you because their skin is covered with white and gray sores. And they emit a decrepit odor and it's embarrassing for them. And they are used to people whispering about them behind their back. They are used to people not wanting to even be near them. But in Mark chapter one, when Jesus heals the leper, what does he do? Righteousness and justice. He does not just say, be healed. No, he touches the leper. <sighs> he touches the leper. Radical kindness that restores someone to a place of honor. You're not a human object. I love you. Come here. Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, did that. He prepared a table in the presence of an enemy called discrimination in John 8. Do you remember the story with the woman who was caught in adultery? Have you ever asked, where is the man? She was caught in adultery. At this time in history, a typical first century Jewish woman was not allowed to leave the house except to draw water from the well. And she had to draw water from the well at a specific time of day. Women were not allowed to go to the house of learning and receive an education, for the most part. Jesus is on the scene when this woman is caught in adultery and the man is just allowed to go free. Which tells me that in John 8, this is a story not just about immorality, because to be clear, Jesus does not condone her act. He says later, go and sin no more. So it's not a mistake, it's not a weakness, it's a sin. He's clear. But Jesus also knows this is also about inequality. Because they are discriminating against the woman because they let the man go. What is Jesus doing? Righteousness and justice. He gets down into the dirt and writes something. Who knows what he writes? But what I know is this. When he gets down and he writes, he is associating with her. He's restoring her to a place of honor. He's preparing a table in the presence of an enemy called discrimination. We know that God himself fed the refugees and provided clean water for them when they left Egypt. And the list goes on and on and on. There are over 2,000 references to the poor in the Bible alone. God cares about people who are hurting. And he cares about you today, if you're hurting as well.
Jesus performed 37 miracles in his earthly ministry and only three of them took place in proximity to the temple. And the gospel is most accurately demonstrated and the church most accurately depicted when those who are hopeless in poverty, suffering, hunger, and in need are simply loved and served at the table. As followers of Jesus, this is our core calling. This is our privilege to live lives of radical generosity and compassion and restore people to a place of honor. Does it really have that much of an impact? Yes. I'll tell you about one of the children that we fed and that together we're about to feed again in Zambia. When a child goes to school, and the only reason she goes to school is because that is her daily meal. We sometimes have to spend over a year convincing parents in the desolate places of the earth to send your child to school. The reason why, and this is a direct quote, I don't want my child to go to school because I need another set of hands. What do you mean another set of hands? I need their hands to pick up trash so that we can take enough in our bundle to the recycling center so that we can buy rice. Sometimes it takes us over a year to convince a mom or a dad, please send your child to school. We will give your child a meal. Many of them, it's their daily meal. And they send their children to school where not only do they receive a plate of food, but they are dewormed. There are children who don't know what it's like to live without parasites. We recently dug a well in Burkina Faso, and when water shot up out of the ground, a child next to the well said, and I quote, what is that? Well, that is water. Where we come from, water is not clear. <laughs> children receive food and water, and before you know it, they start to receive an education because they stay in school, because they get food and water. And then they learn to read. And one of the little girls at our, one of our feeding centers, one night at home, was reading a book, the Bible. She learned how to read. And her dad came in, not to her room, but to the corner of their one-room house that is partitioned off with a few pieces of fabric hanging from the wall. And on her dirt floor, sitting on top of a little piece of cloth, she's reading the Bible. And her father comes around the corner. What is that? He had never seen a book before. And he, for the first time, hears about God. And he hears the gospel from his child who is reading the Bible not because somebody showed up at her house and handed her a Bible, but because first and foremost, somebody said, hey, what if you send your child to school? We'll feed your child. We will deworm your child. We will give your child clean water. And before you know it, the child begins to thrive. And the child is no longer sick all of the time. And the child begins to laugh. And the child has joy. And people around the child notice. 
And then before long, a little dad walks into the corner of their house and meets Jesus. All because somebody was generous and prepared a table in the presence of an enemy called poverty. You better believe it makes an impact. And as somebody who has the privilege of being a part of the Convoy of Hope team, I can tell you from experience, it not only makes a difference, it makes the difference. Both now and in the age to come. Righteousness and justice, radical generosity and kindness that restores people to a place of honor. And there is not a more honorable place than to be face to face with God. The one whose image we're formed in, who knows us by name. I leave you with these words as Pastor Nate comes. Proverbs chapter three, verse 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your hand and power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow when you have it with you today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details.